do 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 His name is Scott Minor. Do 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 do. And this is his podcast. Thank you, Gil. Um, I have to tell you, I like. It's a running joke between uh, the two of us that uh, he's mispronouncing my name. But the first time he recorded that, he actually pronounced it correctly. So we had to do a second take to get the mispronunciation. Um, I'm never going to address that again, but just for the record, so you know he does know how to say it. Um, I, I have to say, I really enjoyed doing this the last time, and today is the third, so two days after doing the previous one. I don't know that I can maintain this cadence, but there's a part of me at least thinking, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, why not? Uh, we'll see if that actually holds together, but... Uh, that is my, my current thought. So one thing that has kind of occurred to me recently, and this is not so much of a you know, like realization, I guess, is, or not a realization, but it's not like, oh, I've just had this discovery, as much as like an aha moment. And this is, I, I was listening to Dan Carlin. Uh, he, does a, he does a podcast called Hardcore History. Uh, he also does something called Common Sense. And uh, Common Sense is like a political show, but kind of, he's trying to be like, I'm outside of politics. And, you know. uh, he was a somewhat conservative radio host for a long time, way before I uh, encountered him. And you can feel a flavor of that in the stuff that he talks about. But he does say some things that, uh, yeah, I generally like him. He's one of those guys that I might not necessarily agree with. But I definitely like, and I appreciate that he's intellectually honest. I appreciate that, uh, yeah, he's actually thinking about things. And uh, he he would say himself, I think, that part of the stuff that he did on the air was kind of a show, a performance. Um, in fact, this was the topic of this this common sense was basically that you have all of these radio jockeys who essentially are doing this performance, and the whole point of it is just to be a heat-seeking missile. Like, find the thing that moves that Arbitron needle and just steer into it and do as much as you can. And the problem with that is, of course, the stuff that does that, you know, that gets people there, gets people engaged, gets people coming back, is not really productive discourse. And in fact, it is probably specifically counterproductive. If you took that away, people would probably be more informed. They'd probably have better thought processes on things. They would be more considerate and uh, probably be a better world, to be honest. I, I think this is one of the problems with Twitter that I, I'm on Twitter, I love Twitter. Um, there are a lot of good things about it. I've met a lot of people that I like from Twitter, but it, there's something about the nature of Twitter that even more than Facebook, which also has its own terrible aspects, um, but Twitter really encourages people to not engage in a conversation, but to kind of distill everything to a kind of hot take, and this is the one tweet, and you're not going to read, you're not, you're not going to assume that anyone knows any context of what you're saying. You're not going to assume anyone knows why you're saying what you're saying or what the details are. Um, never mind subtlety or depth or any of that stuff. You're just going to respond to it in a way that's pithy and kind of gets, uh, well, gets likes, which is moving the Arbitron needle. And of course, the problem with that is, again, 
all this does is build up this kind of arms race. Um, you know, I mean, there, there are a couple of things. One really encourages people who probably agree on more stuff than they disagree on to fight with each other. Two, it kind of actively selects for the people who are going to be loud and obnoxious and the people who are going to be the, not to use a Nixonism, but the silent majority. Uh, those people, or was that Reagan? Probably both. But those people kind of like duck down. They don't really say everything. They're just kind of there. And the people that end up getting really engaged are those you know callers for the talk shows that are uninformed. Uh, they may have listened to the show for a while. They may have an idea of sort of the things that are givens for that show, but maybe not, not even that. Uh, the whole idea there is like people can drive by, catch eight minutes of the song during their commute, or of the, the show during their commute, and you know get riled up and then hopefully come back tomorrow. And Twitter is similar to this. You see that thing, somebody said something and you're like, yeah, and then you follow them and then they do more of that and it just escalates and escalates. And obviously this is not a good trajectory to be on. One of, one of the other problems with social media platforms is that there's this kind of algorithmic balkanization. And this is, it's a weird thing. It's one of these uh, unintended consequence problems where it seems like a good idea to like, hey, you like this. Let's show you more of the stuff that you like and less of the stuff that you don't like. Like is even a thing on, on Facebook, literally. And the problem with that, of course, is that you end up sorting for people that like the stuff that you like and that are saying the stuff that you agree with. And very rarely does somebody else penetrate that. And if they do, usually it's an extremist who is very, very, you know, like motivated to pit, to get through there. So you see these people who look crazy. Those are the representatives of the other side. And you get more and more insular and you start drifting off. They've done studies of this. If you have a population and people are communicating and you have people kind of in a distribution, things kind of tend toward the center of that distribution. Um, doesn't matter what the issue is, but that's kind of how it tends to go. There's always a distribution of perspectives, but people will kind of be pulled, gravitated toward that center. Now the problem is when you start slicing that center, imagine you have a, just a normal distribution, slice it right down the middle and you isolate these two groups, well now each one of those groups gets pulled toward its center, which is not the global center, it's the center over here, the center over here. Now you have this bimodal distribution and it's pushing everybody to the extremes. Uh, not to be, I mean, one thing I don't want to imply is uh, the extremes in this country and really globally have leaned much, much more to the right than the left. And this is a thing, you know, there are a lot of people who say like, oh, the extremists are, but if you look at it, um, there's a great New York Times article from I think August in 2019. And it was what happened to America's center of mass or political center of mass. And when you look at it, um, you see, well, the Republicans kept pushing further and further to the right. And the Democrats kept going, oh, we have to go to the center because you have this distorted idea of the independents are in the center. Independence can be anywhere. Um, I'm, I like to think of myself as kind of independent, uh, mainly because I'm further left 
than the Democrats, and significantly so. I know people who are much further left than I am, um, you know, which is funny because people think Bernie Sanders is so far to the left, but he's really, on an objective scale, he's a little left of center, but not that far. Like, all of the policies that he's for, all of the things he wants to do, everything that he has made, um, like actually something that Democrats have to talk about, and even Republicans talk about a lot of these things now, all that stuff that he's brought into the zeitgeist, those are all things that are not only normative, if you look at the conservative parties in a lot of, a lot of countries around the world, they're just givens for them. Never mind, you know, like uh, the, the liberal parties or the far leftist parties. I don't like using the word liberal because uh, I just did. But it's a weird thing if you take political science. It's, it's the same thing, actually. You take a women's studies course. I took one as an undergrad. And I learned the difference between sex and gender. And it's a weird thing that people always tend to use. This was way before... I mean, this was, you know, aging myself here, but um, in the 90s. This was way before sort of political correctness and all of the, uh, the stuff about, you know, respecting people's gender, letting trans people kind of actually participate and be considered normal people and citizens. Um, you know, gay rights in the 90s was a very different thing than it is today. All of this stuff. But even then, you know, I was like, oh, yeah, sex and gender totally different things. And once you have it pointed out to you, it's hard not to see all of the places where, especially like people would use gender where they mean sex, just because, and you could feel there was this weird, um, I don't know what it is exactly. Maybe, maybe it's just a sort of relic of um, like Protestantism and just this weird conservative religious undertone that you know, like, ooh, sex is bad, so we have to say, we can't even say the word, it's so bad. So they throw in gender, which means something totally different. Sex would be biological sex. Gender would be sort of the, um, the role that you play, so to, be, so to speak. Um, I would be cis male, for example. Um, male, biologically, but also I sort of orient and identify as just pretty traditional, boring, white dude. Um, I, I'd like to think more than that, but you know, that's, but yeah, anyway, rolling back to this, I started realizing listening to, to Dan and he kind of said this, that, you know, the, the thing that has been happening other than this balkanization, which is just dividing us more, um, and other than pushing everybody to the right, because the Democrats kept following the Republicans to the right and not really like pushing in the opposite direction, which would have kept the center in a reasonable place, um, you end up with the situation where all the politicians are really like, I mean, it's a funny thing. They're not people by and large who are motivated to help people. Um, I like to think Bernie is, and there are certainly others who that is how they got in. That's what they're doing. But there are a lot of people like, I'm going to use Nancy Pelosi as the archetype here, uh, but Hakeem Jeffries and really pretty much anyone in the Democratic leadership, uh, Tom Perez, all of these, all these people. And their whole thing is that they're interested, and it, actually Mitch McConnell, I, I lump all of these people in the same boat. Uh, their thing is that they want to be politicians. They're attracted to power. 
They're attracted to money. They're attracted to politics. And to them, it's just a game. It's, it's just like they don't even, I'm not saying that they don't care at all about any issues, but the, the things that they really care about, the things that they are really motivated to do, their Arbitron is fundraising and getting people kind of engaged. They don't give a fuck what they're getting engaged about. And this is one thing that's been driving me insane as a Bernie supporter. I keep hearing all of these people, you know, Scott, what about RBG's seat? Um, well, you know, to be fair, like by all means, I do not want to lose that seat. But also Nancy Pelosi was Speaker of the House under Obama. You know, we had a majority in both houses and we even had, I, I mean, it, it's crazy to think. In, in the Senate, we had a filibuster proof majority which means we could have done pretty much anything. Never passed any law to codify Roe into law. It's just been a case law, which means it's just susceptible to manipulating the courts, which means actually like, because, and again, I don't think anyone, I don't think most Republicans who claim to be pro-life, I mean, obviously they're not actually pro-life because if they were, same fucking people wouldn't you know, tell people to go fuck themselves once they're born. Uh, you know, there'd be some interest in universal health care. There'd be some interest in prenatal care and frankly, in or family planning. If you, I mean, this is one thing that I'm just, I find this crazy and I hope you will too. Planned Parenthood gets so much shit from these people. But if you look at the numbers, no single organization or individual has prevented more abortions than Planned Parenthood. If you're anti-abortion, you should be all up in Planned Parenthood's ass. And I don't mean that you should be out there protesting them with the horrible signs and shaming people who are probably just there to get um, like a gynecological test or you know, maybe just a checkup or who knows what. That may be their, uh, their form of uh, healthcare. That's what they can get. Instead of all of that, you would be supporting them you would be supporting free access to birth control because birth control prevents unwanted pregnancies, which prevents abortions. If you don't like abortions, birth control should be your thing. You should want more birth control than I do, honestly. If you honestly don't want abortions, you should be for comprehensive, medically accurate sex ed. It is a no-brainer. And the fact that these people, the very same people, promote things like abstinence-only programs and sex ed with giant air quotes, which is just basically their religious indoctrination kind of codified into the public sphere. If they actually gave a fuck about this stuff, they would not be doing that because that stuff has been demonstrated time and again to increase the number of unwanted pregnancies, to increase the number of abortions. It is a faith-based system not only in the sense that they pretend to have this religious faith, but they're pushing for things that don't make a damn bit of sense. And the Republicans love this shit in the same sense that I think the Democrats, and I don't mean all Democrats. If you're just a normal Democrat, you're probably like me, you fucking hate Trump. I hate Trump so much that in 2016, after Bernie lost the nomination, I busted my ass. I, I had volunteered for Bernie, my first political campaign I ever volunteered for. Um, I'd voted in every previous election, but that was the first one where that I was eligible for. But that was the first one that I actually like 
this guy motivated me to get out there and do some stuff. Got out there, did stuff, voted for him, um, lost, was devastated. But then I saw that Trump could win. I was watching 538 pretty much every day, refreshing that shit. And I would see like one time, two times, it was 50-50 shot, coin toss, whether Hillary wins. And you look at Trump and how horrible he is, the fact that that's a coin toss, something is very badly wrong there. Um, and then sometimes it would go all the way, like her odds would be, oh, you're probably gonna win at Russian roulette. I don't know about you, I'm not gonna fucking play Russian roulette. You know, having a one shot in six of blowing your brains out, not good odds. And people got so deluded into this idea that, oh, she's inevitable. She's got it in the bag, which fucking drives me insane because now, today, I hear the same shit from the same people about Biden, who I swear, if Biden gets the nomination, this has nothing to do with me. I could bust my ass again for him. I could go out in the summer and the fall and, you know, I mean, hopefully things have changed by then so I could actually even do this, but I could go out and go canvassing weekly, which I did for her. And I assure you, August here, September, October, even the first little bit of November, it's fucking hot in Arizona. You go out knocking on doors and talking to people who don't necessarily want to, I mean, these were people who were supposed to be reliable Democrats too. You know, I, I would talk to these people and people would, I mean, first off, I got a feeling very clearly that the Democrats come by every election cycle and they like, hey, give me, give me your vote. And then they just forget about these people. And when I say these people, I mean the voters, people in general. But they just, they're like, eh, we got your vote. See you in four years. You know, I'm not gonna do a fucking thing for you. Second, I got this impression that really scared the shit out of me. That so many people, including Democrats, and I mean, Democrats who are reliable Democratic voters, I would talk to and time and again, I would hear, I just don't trust Hillary. I don't think she's honest. They would think that she's guilty of all kinds of imaginary crimes. And the thing that's crazy is that the fucking Republicans over and over again investigated her and then exonerated her of anything. These people wanted to find any fucking thing they could on her. They couldn't do it. Still exonerated her. Still convinced people she's guilty as shit of all kinds of things. And the people who are in the right wing mind machine kind of like the complete crazy zone these people, like I, I talk to these people, some of them think she has whacked, like she has literally had, for some reason, the number 50 people killed. Uh, 50 is a nice round number, I guess, if you're into weird conspiracy theories, that kind of thing is helpful, but people believe this shit. And you talk to them, and then you talk to the Democrats who are just totally bubbled. They don't talk to those people. All the people they talk to are like, oh, of course Hillary's gonna win. Of course Hillary's gonna, yeah. And Again, I see the same shit now. And the most frustrating thing about all of that is I spent, even before Bernie lost, I spent the whole fucking, like late 2015 and all of 2016 through November, I spent telling people like, you better take this shit seriously. She could fucking lose. And also, and I said this then, I'm saying it now, Bernie has a much better chance of beating Trump. Partly because it's so easy to say, well, Hillary is just as bad as Trump. Well, Biden's just as bad as Trump. You know, it doesn't even have to be true. There just has to be enough there 
enough instances of not doing everything you can to avoid even the appearance of impropriety. Enough instances of basically going out of your way to look shady. I mean, Hunter, 50K per month, job he's not qualified for. Now, was that shady? Was that uh, actually unethical? Probably not, but it looks fucking crazy. It looks, you know, it doesn't look good. I'm just saying, you know. I mean, you think about that. It's, it's, it's insane that people will do this shit. And then you have to argue with like, you know, and, and you imagine also, it's like, oh, well, we're Democrats. We totally, we'll overlook that. We know this is okay. Because on our team, you know, it's totally bad if you do it on your team. If it's our team, we don't give a fuck. You know, there are, there are credible allegations against fucking Biden for uh, actually like sexually assaulting somebody. He's got lots of weird, crazy, like, handsy stuff that's not necessarily, like, it's not necessarily over the top, but makes me cringe just to see it. And you put, put together a video series of that, not that hard to convince people that this guy is just as bad as Trump. Now, Trump has probably raped people, and he's probably much worse, but it's not about who's actually worse or better. It's about people going, oh, well, yeah, you've got this on Trump, but what about Biden? What about Bi What about Hunter? Trump is corrupt. What about Hunter? People, because of all this shit with the Hunters and all the things where the Democrats would kind of let things slide, you can have Trump sitting there doing all this shit in public, in the open, and people are like, oh, well, he's just doing what everybody else is doing. He's just doing it in public. And they're not totally wrong. Like, I mean, the thing is, there's enough of a kernel of truth there that it's credible. They're not totally wrong. This is one of the things that appeals to me about Bernie because people have tried to pin all kinds of stuff on him. Uh, I mean, one of my favorite pro-Bernie people is Peter Dow now, just because he was so anti-Bernie. Spent 2016 fighting us and being a complete asshole, frankly. And he kept trying to come up with shit. Nothing would stick. And he did all the oppo research, couldn't find anything on Bernie. And people keep saying, oh, well, Bernie's got this secret hidden stuff against him. Like Hillary wouldn't have used every fucking bit of ammo that she had against him. Um, and, and also the people in the primaries, like that wouldn't have. So the one thing they have against Bernie, one semi-credible thing, is that he said he's a socialist. But you know what? Every single fucking Democrat since Roosevelt, like no bullshit, go through the history. They're a socialist, they're a so, you know. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy how much the Democrats keep getting hammered with the same shit. And they're afraid of it. They're like, oh, I don't want to be thought of as a socialist. So they go right and right, or like further and further right. But they won't do the one thing that would actually make you realize, oh, actually being a, like a little bit of socialism, having universal health care, which every other country has some form of. I mean, every other developed country has some form of this. Um, I mean, we spend, we spend almost 20%, almost a fifth, of our gross domestic product goes to healthcare. We have people, like millions of people, going bankrupt due to things like they get cancer, they get in a wreck, their kid is born and has some kind of birth defect, or they have uh, cystic fibrosis or whatever. People go bankrupt. We spend more per capita than countries that cover everybody. I mean, there are extreme examples where like Norway spends half of what we do per capita and they cover everybody. And it's not because the country is smaller. Per capita means per person. You could totally do this here. 
It's just we have this chronic, and it's, it, to be fair, it's not just the insurance companies. It's also like the hospital gets a new CEO, for-profit, pretty much any for-profit company. Uh, the people who are running that company have a legal fiduciary responsibility. Literally, it, they're required by law to maximize profit, which means taking in as much revenue as possible. And in healthcare, that means insurance premiums or what you're charging for the room or what you're charging for surgery, whatever. Uh, and then spending as little as possible, which in healthcare means paying out as little as possible for the insurance company. The hospital is spending as little as possible on each person. They're doing everything they can to not have extra ventilators and extra rooms, extra capacity, which we need strategically for times like this. Uh, I'm, I'm recording this in just before the crest of a pandemic. And we need more ventilators, we need more rooms, we need more capacity. But all of those things are inefficiencies from the pure, and it's not even just capitalistic view. Um, I have no problem, like I know people who are like crazy, crazy, like basically communists. I know people who are literally like truly socialists in the, point, in the sense that they want to take over and privatize every corporation, and a public, sorry, public, publicize. I don't have the right word. They want to convert every corporation, every business, into something that is essentially a co-op. And I think they're nuts. Um, I, like, I like a lot of these people, but I don't think they have a very good understanding of what motivates people and uh, sort of human nature. And then also, I mean, like capitalism isn't something that people just decided, like, this is a good idea. This is the system that we're going to use. It's kind of an emergent phenomenon when you have a finite amount of resources and you have more people that want those resources than you can actually get. Uh, like, you, if, if more people want something than you actually have of that, you know, you have supply and demand and all of this stuff, a lot of these things come out of that. Now, what we have instead of that, and, and you know, I mean, you could have, you can have drug companies making money, making a good product, make money, they're good, selling it for a price that's reasonable. People who are getting the drug are doing well, the people who are making the drug are doing well. You get this kind of mutual benefit thing in, in that kind of framework. Or you can have what we have, which is basically maximize not only profit in the long term, but profit next quarter. Do everything you can to make that as high as possible. And then you end up with drug companies ratcheting up the price of insulin, for example, which I think I talked about last time, but it's, it's crazy to me how cheap it is to make insulin and how expensive it is to buy it, uh, especially considering how much people need this shit. And it's, it's just such a problem and such a universal thing in so many different ways. So anyway, rolling all the way back to the beginning, I started, I, I kind of had this, I don't know if I'd say epiphany, but definitely aha moment. Um, while listening to Dan Carlin, thinking, oh, you know what? All that stuff that they're saying about wanting to protect RBG and all of this, they're full of shit. I don't think Nancy Pelosi gives two fucks about RBG. I don't think she cares about your reproductive rights. I don't think she cares about any of the stuff that the Democrats are supposedly standing for. I think all she cares about is how can I raise money? You know, fundraising has, is the metric that gives you power in both parties, but I'm more interested in the Democrats because I tend to align with them. And I've been one basically all of my life up until uh, after 2016 for a brief stint, I was no party. 
Uh, and I am again because I want to vote in the primary, and I probably will continue to be because I got kind of suckered into being a, uh, a PC uh, precinct committee person. Uh, I'm still very ambivalent about this, by the way. There's a whole group of people whose idea is uh, let's just get into the party and kind of take over. And I, th I mean, it's possible it's not a bad thing, but, um, and it also, like, there are so many things that make it almost impossible for, it's not impossible, but it's very difficult if you want a third party to really get hold and get power. And because we have first passed the vote, the first passed the post voting, um, any country that's had this with, I think, like one exception, pretty much everywhere that you have it, it converges to two parties. Because if you try to, if you have three parties, and I really like this one, but this one is doing better, and this one I hate, I'm strategically incentivized to vote for the one that I'm not as big of a fan of, but is more likely to win. And then you do that cycle after cycle, and you kill all of the third parties. Uh, there are other things like that that make it extremely difficult to either run as a third party candidate or, uh, or get elected with very weird exceptions, but, uh, and, and it's weird because if you look at Arizona and the whole country, in fact, there are more people registered as independents than uh, Democrats or Republicans. And there's this horrible idea, I think both parties have this, but they think, oh, the, the Democrats are here, the Republicans are here, and the independents are all in, in the middle. And in reality, a lot of, you look at the, and you actually poll the independents, some of them are basically Democrats. They just don't want to say they're Democrats. Some of them are basically Republicans. They don't want to say it. Some of them legitimately are in the middle. Some aren't paying attention. They have no particular idea what the fuck is going on. And then others are further left or further right or have other just weird ideas. I say weird not to be dismissive, but I mean they have other ideas that uh, are not compatible with that sort of idea. So anyway... I, um, I could ramble on about this for a while, but I think the general thrust of what I want to say today is I think Pelosi and the majority of Democrats in power, um, and when I say that, I mean like literally like Tom Perez and all of these sort of like Chuck Schumer, um, all of these people enjoy Trump. I think that to him, to them, he is a gift. They love the fact that they can just sort of sit there and, oh, you know, get people to, to scream and please take our money, please do this stuff. Um, they love that. They don't give a shit about the harm that he's doing. They don't give a shit about the environment. Pelosi doesn't care about your reproductive health because she's pretty much done there. Um, and I don't think, I think she's kind of a fundamentally, uh, I, I don't mean to overly judge, but I think she's kind of a fundamentally selfish person. And, you know, you look at this stuff and you're like, ah, it's just, it makes me want to cringe. And I hope that we can break out of this. I really sincerely hope, um, I mean, not just, I hope Bernie gets the nomination, partially because I think Biden gets the nomination. Um, I think there are two possibilities. High probability, he loses. And again, no matter what the fuck I do. And very small chance that he wins. And even in that chance, we could win, win the presidency, win the House, win the Senate. Got majorities in both houses. We've got the president. And now what? Well, if you have Bernie 
and the two majority houses, then we could get Medicare for all. We could get a lot of other stuff. It wouldn't be easy, but it's doable. Um, you might have to end the filibuster, but doable. If we get Biden, he's going to squander that. And then you end up with people looking at, um, oh, the Democrats are just not doing anything. They're probably tightening the belts because Trump has done. It's this horrible cycle that we've had for decades where the Republicans spend insane amounts of money, do crazy shit, and the Democrats come back into power. They have to tighten the belts. And we're accused of taxing and spending, but they end up taxing a little bit to offset for the, the costs and then not spending, but cutting corners, which means that people who interact with government get worse and worse experiences with it, which feeds into this whole idea that government doesn't work, which makes people more upset about spending. And then the Republicans come by and they're like, hey, those guys are not doing anything. Government sucks, vote for us. And then 2022, you end up either losing one or both of the majorities in the House and the Senate, uh, or at least losing some seats. And then 2024, you end up losing the presidency. And frankly, I think you end up teeing things up for someone who's even worse than Trump. Like as bad as Trump is, remember how bad W was? Remember how much we thought this was like crazy exceptional and you'd never get somebody worse? And how I see the same people who said that saying Trump is the worst, you know, like, oh, I wish we had W. Not that hard to imagine somebody so much worse than Trump that people will nostalgically look back to. At least Trump was, you know. I mean, it, it, it almost seems like a, like a fait accompli. Like, it's very easy to get there. We can avoid it, but it's almost the default path. So anyway, with all of that, um, I, I had one more thing I wanted to say, and it was like at the tip of my brain and just kind of faded away. So. I will share that with you next time. Um, with that, thank you for listening. And uh, thanks again, Gil, for the intro. Zai Jin.